Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Welcome to the latest episode of the Sounds of the Spring School podcast series. I'm Lauren Roberts, one of the UNESCO coordinators. This episode contains a recording of Robert McNeil and Ian Campbell's session at the UNESCO Rewa Spring School on the 28th of May 2021, entitled Artists on Conflict. In this highly emotive session, Robert and Ian discussed how art is different from documentary. Both illustrate, report and record history, but can art take us beyond the facts? Listeners, please be advised that this episode contains discussions of war and genocide that you may find disturbing. We'd like to thank Rachel Burke for chairing the session. And now, over to Ian and Robert. Hi, I'm Ian Campbell and I paint portraits. Our main focus was the paintings we created based on the genocide in Srebrenica in Bosnia. And we go in depth about our experiences there. This was my third spring school that I've presented at and my second online. I love that as a consequence of having to work online, an event like this has been made accessible to people from all over the world. I was chatting to people from Canada, Iraq and Australia from my studio in Govan. I've been a UNESCO RILA affiliate artist for a few years now. It's important for me to be involved in this work. Because of work that I've previously uh, been involved with, I know that I can connect with an audience that's mostly white and Christian, and it helps open up a conversation with them about refugee integration. I'm part of a group exhibition at the Glasgow Gallery on Bath Street in Glasgow from the 28th of August until the 9th of October. I'll also be exhibiting at Kelvin Grove Museum and Art Gallery late in October with a climate change project in advance of COP26. That project is a collaboration with Christian Aid, Islamic Relief and Tear Fund and it's the first time that they've all worked together so I'm quite excited about that. My name is Robert McNeil. Um, I'm a retired forensic technician and due, between the, the years of 1996 and 2001, um, I was seconded to the International uh, Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia uh, to travel out to the Balkans to um, examine uh, victims from mass graves uh, in order to gather evidence for the prosecutions of uh, indicted war criminals. Um, and uh, after those five years of working, um, I, I retired and, and started to experience uh, symptoms, uh, quite minor symptoms, but nevertheless troubling of PTSD. And I took up painting as um, as a means of coping with that. And um, I, I began painting images uh, from the bad dreams that I was having. Uh, and that seemed to work for me. And I've been doing that ever since. The, the, the work that I do now uh, is I act as an ambassador for the charity Remembering Srebrenica um, and that gives me the opportunity to go into various venues such as schools and colleges etc to talk about the, the history of the, the conflicts there um, and when I found out about UNESCO RILA uh, I thought that that would be a wonderful opportunity to speak to uh, people who some of themselves have come from some um, pretty uh, traumatic backgrounds um, but also just to spread the word about the genocide that happened uh, to the Muslim population uh, in the Balkans, and so it's, it's, um, I'm extremely honoured to, uh, to be part of UNESCO RILA uh, for that reason, but also uh, I've learned so much about other people's lives and, uh, and other conflicts uh, by listening to the, the, some of the presentations that have been given. 
if anyone wants to know any more about the the work that I do, particularly uh, the forensic work that I've done in the past and currently the work for Remembering Srebrenica, uh, my website address is www.robertmcneil.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us for this wonderful session that Ian and Robert have titled Artists on Conflict. My name is Rachel and I'm, I'm really honoured and privileged to be with you uh, for me this evening, for many of you today. I'm joining you from Awabakal land, so I would like to pay my respects to the Pambalong clan of the Awabakal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm currently living and working and joining you um, uh, from this evening. It is my absolute privilege and honour uh, to be chairing this session for these two remarkable artists, UNESCO uh, Rila uh, affiliate artists, uh, Robert McNeil, MBE, and uh, Ian Campbell. And if you're wanting to Google and find out more about Ian, he's often ID Campbell because he tells me there are many Ian Campbells um, out there. I was fortunate uh, to meet Ian in 2019, which seems like a very, very long time ago now, pre-COVID, um, I actually met him in person um, at uh, one of the uh, RILA UNESCO Spring School sessions. And I wasn't quite sure what to expect uh, going into the session. And I found the experience remarkably moving and transformative in ways that I, I would not have foreseen. Uh, Ian's passion for sharing art um, as a way of memorializing and, and bringing to our attention the human uh, experiences of these tragedies of war and conflict and his commitment, I think, to foregrounding dignity and respect and hope within that artwork is, is truly, truly remarkable. I'm likewise absolutely delighted uh, to make the acquaintance, albeit digitally, of Robert McNeil, MBE, who is a UK ambassador for remembering Srebrenica, uh, and who likewise uh, shares his art with the world as a way of making sense of his many experiences and deployments uh, around the world in all sorts of contexts of genocide, terrorism, uh, of war and crimes against humanity. Um, and again, Robert's commitment to sharing that artwork that offers the world unique insights into those events, but also the importance of telling those stories of those people who, uh, who have been part of those experiences, just tru truly remarkable. Um, Robert and Ian have a wonderful session arranged for you this evening, so I'm going to stop talking. I just want to let you know that they're going to um, be inviting at, at, at the end of the session, toward the latter stages of the session, be inviting you to share what has resonated with you about the artwork and, and the session itself. So please, if you would like to um, contribute your ideas to the chat and, um, and we can, can kind of engage with these remarkable artists uh, later in the, in the session. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Rachel. And good evening, Rachel, and good morning, everyone else. Uh, it's, do you know, I, I don't think I could have imagined the, 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 I suppose it's maybe the one minor benefit that we've had from the COVID era that uh, it means it's, it's easy uh, for people all around the world to get together uh, in, in times like this. I, and I'm sure, and I really hope that that's going to inform the way that we all work in in the future. Uh, it's it's been that's been quite a, an eye opener for me. I suppose it would be uh, it probably goes without saying, but it's probably worth saying that in this session, artists on conflict, um, that there could be things that Robert and I share that could be triggering for people. We're, we're talking about war. Uh, I'll, I'll mention briefly some, some other artists who have, have touched on war. Uh, I don't think uh, there, there is one painting from another artist uh, that uh, I'll be sharing that's a little bit more gruesome. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning that, but you know, we, we will be talking about war and, and the effects of war. Um, a couple of things that Robert and I would love to share with you before we, we get going properly. Kelvin Grove Gallery in, in Glasgow, they have uh, an exhibition starting in, in the Community Gallery. There is going to be uh, an exhibition specifically about the Srebrenica genocide. Robert has been 
involved in, in putting that together. There will be a, a number of artifacts, particularly from uh, one woman who came from Srebrenica, uh, things from the Sarajevo Museum. The, there is a brand new painting from uh, Peter Housen, who was the official war artist during the Bosnian conflict. Uh, Robert, is there anything else that, that you'd like to mention about that exhibition that's coming up? Um, no, I think you've covered it, Ian. Um, it, it's quite a small exhibition, um, and the, you mentioned the artifacts from uh, from the, the the survivor from one of the concentration camps, um, uh, uh, who who has kindly contributed some really very personal items and very poignant items that um, that are quite moving, and the the the. Uh, the National uh, Museum of Bosnia and Herzegovina, they also contributed uh, some, some uh, quite important, very simple items, but that were uh, very important during the siege of Sarajevo um, uh, to be shown. And so that exhibition will be running throughout the summer, hopefully uh, a bit longer if possible. Um, and uh, I would certainly recommend that if people can go along and see it. Um, and I'd like to mention also a project that I'm currently working on for Remembering Srebrenica UK, which is um, not many people know that uh, forensic experts from uh, from around the world, from 32 countries, were involved in uh, gathering the evidence against the perpetrators. And I've reached out to uh, as many people as and all of these people have worked in Bosnia um, and I've made contact with a large number of them who have kindly agreed to contribute uh, to a publication that will be uh, available sometime in June, perhaps, um, with the contributions of people, the experts' experiences. And the point of this is to challenge genocide. Um, uh, because that, as you know, not just in the Srebrenica genocide, but in all genocide is um, the, the, probably the, the most sinister of, of the, the, the ladder of prejudice that, that you've talked about, Ian. Yeah. Oh, now, I've just remembered there, um, the opening of the exhibition. Uh, does that coincide with White Armband Day, Robert? Yes, exactly. Um, I'll maybe talk a wee bit more about White Armband Day um, because I feature it in one of the paintings that I'm going to show. But uh, again, that's a, a, a not very well-known aspect of the Bosnian War, um, where people were forced to wear white armbands to identify their religion. Mm. Uh, Robert and I are going to be sharing some of our artwork and some of the stories behind it. Uh, but I, I'm just I'm going to throw in a few um, paintings from the, the 20th century just to, to set a little bit of context. This, uh, this is an etching by uh, Kate Kolvitz. Um, and uh, throughout the first half of the 20th century, Kolvitz um, portrayed uh, the effects of war rather than rather than the war itself uh, and this this piece is is entitled very simply but very starkly woman with dead child um, she's probably best known for for her uh, works during world war one and world war two but this was much earlier this was 1903 um, during the german peasants war um, and uh, the, the emotion that she pours out in her work, usually monochromatic. Kovitz's work, it, it, she just pours out the emotion. Uh, you, you know, you, th there's, no, there's no ghastly bullet wounds. There's no shrieking and screaming. There's no bombing. You just see two people. There's nothing more. Um, eternal, there's nothing more raw than a mother holding a dead child uh, as, as one of the effects of war. Picasso's Guernica, I don't think I would have possibly heard of the town of Guernica if it hadn't been for Picasso's painting. Uh, this was during the Spanish Civil War. Um, 
this very much showing a, a very raw uh, side of, of war um, in, in Picasso's unique style. Um, really quite uh, really quite stark but you know he he brought this to public consciousness and again like Colvitz chose to work monochromatically uh, he felt that there was something more stark more direct more immediate uh, by being met by that it's a, it's a huge piece I've, I've not had the chance to see that in, in real life yet uh, hopefully someday and I mentioned um, Peter Housen earlier Housen was the official UK war artist uh, for the Balkan War. This painting is called Plum Grove, which is a very simple and innocent title, but uh, we see a, a corpse strung up in a tree uh, and some children playing nearby uh, with the innocence and curiosity that, that children can only have. Um, I was 19 when the genocide in Srebrenica happened, and uh, I think it was, which was in 1993, uh, 1994, uh, Housen was exhibiting his artworks. There was a whole load in the uh, War Museum down in London, the Imperial War Museum, uh, but there's a, there's a Glasgow-based gallery uh, the Roger Billcliffe Gallery, who have always exhibited Housen's work and do to this to this day. Uh, and as an art student, I went in and, and saw those works um, again and again and again, and uh, profoundly was, was affected by those uh, myself. Um, when I was 19, I don't know how much attention I was paying to the news. I knew that there was this conflict going on uh, in, in the, the Balkans. Um, Yugoslavia, as it, as it was then, was a place I had heard of, um, but it was, it was a very confusing conflict, but Housen's art impacted me deeply. Uh, and, and I always thought, you know, if, if I ever had a chance to, to highlight um, conflict in, in, in the way that, that he has, uh, then I would be, uh, I would be very keen to to be involved uh, in in that kind of uh, work. Um, Robert, um, why don't you share some of your paintings uh, with us? Bella, I think is going to uh, put them up on on screen for us. Yeah. Um, well, just before I do that, Ian, uh, I should maybe. Um, describe how I came to be involved in in uh, in the genocide in, in Bosnia uh, uh, and so uh, and by the way um, you meant you talked about Peter Housen who was a great influence on me and he has very kindly uh, lent uh, a, a new painting an unseen painting of his to the Kelvin Grove exhibition which um, which is well worth seeing um, so anyway, uh, uh, around uh, late 1995-96, I was nearing the end of a, a long career as a technician working alongside pathologists in Glasgow carrying out post-mortem examinations. And when I was invited by the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia uh, to travel to Bosnia to help gather evidence from over 8,000 victims um, who were allegedly executed and discovered in mass graves around the Srebrenica area. Uh, and over the next four or five years, I, I returned there to continue to work with the Srebrenica victims. But in addition to work with victims from other execution sites, such as uh, the uh, concentration camps in Omarska and Luka camps and, and many other sites, uh, including in Kosovo. And uh, the nature of the work didn't bother me. I, I, I thought I'd, I was used to it, but I was surprised to find that when when I retired, I started to experience vivid dreams about my forensic work, and, um, and they were often very graphic, especially those depicting the, the atrocities that we uncovered almost daily. It was uh, quite a challenge in those days to remain objective. And 
having also encountered columns of traumatized refugees in the roadside in the early days in Bosnia uh, and certainly in Kosovo, uh, I often wondered about what horrors they had endured and what became of them. Uh, and I suppose I'd locked away those images uh, of these events in my mind, but they began to resurface, as I say, uh, during the night and became a, a, a mild problem, if you like. And I'd read that some people who have had post-traumatic stress disorder have found it helpful to express their feelings through the arts or speak about their experiences. Um, and I'd always been interested in that, so I, I took up painting as a hobby um, and I felt drawn towards painting some of the images that were uh, I was experiencing during the night. And the paintings were private. I didn't think anyone would be interested in them. And no intention of making them public. However, a local gallery in Glasgow learned about them from my wife, Cathy, and they persuaded me to hold uh, my first exhibition entitled Witness. And around the same time, I learned about the charity Remembering Srebrenica, um, and I offered to support it. And this presented me with opportunities to visit schools and other venues to educate people who knew very little about the genocide in Bosnia, as you alluded to, Ian. Uh, I also wanted to try to encourage people who'd experienced or were close to those who'd experienced conflict or were victims of hate crime to express themselves through whatever medium they felt comfortable with if they felt able to do so and out of respect for the victims and their family instead of showing graphic photographs of violent death in my presentations I prefer to use my paintings to help illustrate what happened there and judging from the feedback I've had I've found this a more acceptable way of tackling such a sensitive subject so so as you say I've included a few um, paintings from that conflict, which it should be known, it, it, people describe it as a civil war. It, it, it wasn't a civil war. It was a war of aggression uh, against Muslims. Um, and uh, 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 But I think that uh, uh, the paintings uh, themselves could be from any war, any war, anywhere in the world. And so, Bella, if you could maybe pull up the first painting. Thanks. This painting we mentioned, White Armband, Ian, um, and this is a painting uh, about White Armband. Very briefly, what happened was that the Serbs um, uh, uh, issued a, an instruction that all non-Serbs wear white armbands and hang white sheets from their windows to enable the Serbs to um, to, to know uh, that these people were non-Serbs and uh, mainly Muslims. And so these people were kicked out of their homes, uh, all their belongings were stolen from them. And in this painting, you might just be able to make out that the, the mother is, is pressing a photograph, a smashed photograph uh, 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 against uh, her child. And, um, and that indicates the fact that this was a once happy family, but the man was missing, the husband was missing. And in the background there, uh, it's a pretty innocuous building. Um, and that, in fact, uh, is uh, the notorious Omarska concentration camp where hundreds of men and women were brutally treated um, and raped. And, uh, 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 and so uh, that, that's what that painting about is about. And as I say, as you mentioned, uh, on Monday is the anniversary of uh, White Armband Day, which took place in 1993, I believe, uh, in the northern uh, part of Bosnia. This is a painting about refugees, I, I feel, um, and what happened to them after they were thrown out of their homes um, without their husbands. Uh, thousands of, of women and children were left to wander uh, uh, to try and find a, safe to, a place of safety because Bosnia is a, a landlocked country. There was no a flight embargo and people just couldn't get out. The UN created uh, six so-called safe areas, but it, it, it just didn't um, prevent the, 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 the carnage that, that continued there. And, um, and I wanted to depict the just how difficult it was for, for, for people to find a place of safety. Uh, they, some people were ethnically cleansed uh, more than once and were just wandering around the country in areas where they, 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 they weren't welcome. And, uh, and incidentally, the wall in the background there is, is actually uh, taken from reality. I, I actually 
um, copied uh, the, the, some of the graffiti that was on the wall there. And the two pictures uh, painted on the wall, one is Ratko Mladic, the uh, uh, Bosnian Serb military commander who was responsible for the genocide in Srebrenica, along with on the right uh, Radovan Karadic, um, who was the political leader of uh, of the, the Republic of Serbska, who attacked um, and orchestrated the genocide there. And you can see some of the, the, the feelings there. Uh, UN united nothing. That was quite a common phrase uh, because the UN didn't protect them. Um, you might be able to make out uh, some graffiti, uh, for example, my ass is like a local, it's got the same smell. Um, that was actually written by uh, UN, a UN soldier uh, who were there to protect uh, the, the, the Muslims and they didn't do a very good job of that. And Welcome to Hell, again, is taken straight from, uh, from, from, um, from an image that was on the wall there. Um, and those, this painting and the other, I should say that um, the, the models for it were our daughter, Ruth, and our two grandchildren. Um, so uh, next, next one, please, Bill. This is a bit more uh, disturbing in a way, if you like. And this, is, uh, this was taken from um, uh, about uh, July 11th, 1995, when the, the Serbs entered Srebrenica. Uh, which was a, a so-called safe area. Um, and you'll notice in, in that painting that there are very few men uh, in it because the men were separated from their wives, their mothers, um, and uh, taken away and killed. Most of the men tried to escape by running into the forest, but the Serbs were waiting for them. Uh, and over 8,000 men and boys were, were, were murdered and um, and I've also included a little dog because ethnic cleansing just isn't about throwing people out and destroying families. I mean, um, uh, it was quite scary to see packs of thoroughbred dogs um, uh, running around, starving dogs running around the streets there and because they were part of the ethnic cleansing program. And many women were raped and have depicted uh, uh, and beaten and have depicted that in one of the, the scenes too. And uh, and I've seen this mainly in, in Kosovo as well, where in 1999, uh, th this was actually going on whilst we were um, involved in exhuming the bodies there. And the last one, Bella, please. Um, I wanted to just show a, a painting um, about some of the, the, the work that we were involved with. And this is a, a, a friend and colleague, <clears throat> excuse me, Alison Anderson, who also worked in, in, in Bosnia. And it's basically a scene of a woman hanging out washing, but uh, the, the victims' bodies, uh, some of whom had been in the ground for many years, uh, were in such a terrible state that um, there was no possibility of relatives identifying them. And so um, uh, came up with the idea uh, of, of once removing the clothes from the victims, we cleaned it, we, we, we examined it for signs of um, uh, trauma, et cetera, and laid it out for the, uh, for the mothers uh, and, and wives and so on uh, to come and look at, because what's important is to know is that, that um, the Serb commander promised the women that their men would join them um, after they had been separated. Um, and the women believed, or wanted to believe that their men were still alive. And, uh, and so we felt that if they were to look at the clothing and be able to recognize it, uh, some of it, then they might, it, it might, they might begin to realize that their, their, their men folk weren't coming back. And this is, it's full of symbolism, this painting, the, the slipper on the left is a Bosnian Muslim slipper. The jumper is a Dutch football uh, jumper because the, the the Dutch UN soldiers were supposed to protect the uh, the, the Srebrenica enclave. A pair of uh, youth's pants, a blindfold. Many of the victims were blindfolded uh, and had hands tied behind their back before they were executed. And finally, a a, a, a child's shoe because uh, although people talk about the eight and a half thousand men and boys who were killed. Um, many women and children were too. In fact, the eldest victim um, uh, was a woman of 90, 92, I think, uh, and the youngest victim was a baby who was born uh, uh, on July the 11th. 
and was murdered on that same day. And that's that's me. Ian, I'll hand back to you. Thank you very much, Bella. Thank you so much, Robert. There's boy, there's, uh, there's the the weight of what is now history um, in there. It's uh, it's, it's quite ast astonishing. Um, the uh, I, it it really on, it was really only when I travelled to Srebrenica in twenty nineteen that um, some of the, the information that, that you're sharing with us there really started to sink in. Um, the the story of the the few days of the the Srebrenica genocide and what happened afterwards is so complicated. Um, with the four paintings that I have to to share with you, um, the the four paintings that that I have there, uh, I, I paint portraits, and I've painted four different people that I met when I when I visited Srebrenica, and I've tried to. Um, put these in, in sequence to, to in a, my, my aim with these paintings was to try to help um, people who had no understanding of what happened in Srebrenica, to, to give them a, a very quick snapshot of, of what happened. Uh, this, this lady is uh, Kadifa Rizvanovic. She's part of the, the Mothers of Srebrenica Association, who are a group of, of women still campaigning for justice to be done and truth to be told about the Srebrenica genocide, which was the worst massacre in Europe since the Holocaust. Uh, Kadifa fled to Srebrenica in 1992 when the Bosnian War started, two days after giving birth. She had begged her husband to, to leave her behind as she could hardly walk. He said, I will carry you, but I will not leave you. And they walked together for 22 days through the forest. Srebrenica had been designated a, a safe area by the UN in 1993. Um, the area used to have less than 10,000 residents. It was a spa town. For those of you who live uh, in in Scotland, if you think of Creef and Creef Hydro, that's the kind of place that Srebrenica was. Um, by by then, it was under under siege and it was packed with six times the the people that they would normally have had, mostly Muslim refugees. The eleventh of July, nineteen ninety five. Bosnian Serb forces attacked the town and the UN troops who were there to protect the town failed to stop the assault. They were absolutely overwhelmed. Thousands of men and boys who didn't expect that the UN would be able to protect them tried to walk through the hills to reach a free territory, most of them unarmed. And Khadifa's husband uh, was among the men who tried to flee and they didn't see him ever again. The men and boys who stayed were all killed. Uh, the Serb army slaughtered more than 8,000 Muslim men and boys. Uh, between 20,000 and 50,000 uh, women were raped during the war. At the age of 27, Khadifa became a widow. It was only 18 years later that her husband's body was found and laid to rest at the Srebrenica Memorial Center. I'm I was quite astonished when I met the mothers of Srebrenica. They've never sought revenge uh, and they've never acted with hatred because they say that hatred's a sign of weakness and they refuse to give in to that. They're just looking for justice and truth. Uh, someone else I met on that trip, Hassan Hassanovic. Um, Hassan is uh, three days older than me. He was also 19 when this all happened. When the Bosnian Serb attack, uh, army attacked 
Srebrenica, Hassan and his twin brother Hussein um, were there. They, they set off with their father and their uncle um, amongst between 10 and 15,000 men and boys. They set off in a column through the hills and the forests to the free territory of Tuzla, 63 miles away. People called this the Death March. As they, as they assembled, there was a gunfire from the surrounding hills, which were controlled by the Serb military. Hassan told us that they didn't care that we were unarmed. Their primary concern was that we were Muslim and they wanted us dead. Hundreds of men at the back of this column of people were all killed as they ran into the woods. Uh, and Hassan soon realised that his twin brother Hussein, his father and their uncle were all missing. After that, they walked for six nights and five days through continual heavy gunfire. And thousands of men were shot dead. Hassan survived only with a small amount of sugar and water that he had. And, his, and when they arrived in, uh, in Tuzla, his, his feet were a mass of bloody blisters. Of those 10 to 15,000 men that started on the death march, only 3,000 survive. It was uh, 2005 when Hassan was able to bury his brother. Uh, Hassan actually works at the Memorial Centre now, which is, is, is where I, I met him. He returned to Srebrenica in 2009 uh, to work there as a, a curator and, and, and translator. And he shares a story with, with everyone who comes along. Now, uh, this lady here is Dr. Dragana Vucetic. Uh, she works currently as a senior forensic pathologist for the International Commission on Missing Persons who Robert worked closely with. They have uh, helped identify almost 90% of those 8,000 men and boys whose bodies were missing because of the Srebrenica genocide. Bodies were piled up in, in mass graves, as, as Robert said earlier. Uh, often those mass graves were dug up and then buried elsewhere to hide the evidence. Um, Dragana told us that the remains of one man were found in four different sites, 50 kilometres apart. The ICMP, they operate um, what is the world's largest DNA human identification facility. Um, and since they were established in 1996, they've taken more than 70,000 blood samples from relatives of the, the people who are missing. People have called it the world's greatest forensic puzzle. Uh, now, one of the really interesting things meeting Dragana was um, that she's Serbian. Uh, and she's too young to remember much about the, the war years. She, she told me at first that the work really affected her uh, greatly. Uh, she was straight out of university when she went into this work. But her work has, has helped families lay their loved ones to rest uh, and it's it's used as evidence in, in war crime trials as well. Uh, let me introduce you to one last person. This is Almasa Salihovic. Um, she was just a little girl when, when the war started and she took me to the graves of her brother, her father, uh, and Uncle uh, Almasa was our translator when we were there uh, for, for the, the trip with Remembering Srebrenica. Uh, you can see on the graves there um, written is, is, is the name of her, her brother Abdullah. You can see that in the bottom right hand corner. Abdullah was 18. Um, her, uh, he and um, Almas's older sister, they were separated from the rest of the family. The, everyone tried to rush to safety at the UN base. They, uh, those two ended up penned in, inside uh, what was an old uh, battery factory. They were all, there was thousands uh, inside, about 5,000 uh, inside 
and no more people could fit in and, and the UN soldiers shut the gate. There was this meadow where the, the graveyard is now and about 20,000 others had to stay there. Almasa and, and her mum uh, and other siblings stayed there for, for two whole days in the open air. Um, and on th the third day, buses finally came to evacuate them to the refugee camps at Tuzla. Her younger brother was uh, was with them, and and their mum managed to hide him um, on the bus under a pile of bags and clothes. They knew that the Bosnian Serb soldiers would take all the boys away, uh, and he lay on uh, he lay there just covered with clothes and bags. When Amas's sister and her other sister and and um, uh, Abdullah, the, her 18-year-old brother, tried to get on another bus later. He was spotted by a soldier uh, and taken off. He was uh, told that, uh, that uh, oh, you, you'll be reunited with your family later. You'll be on a different bus. And they never saw him again. In 2008, 30% um, of Abdullah's body was buried. That was all that was found. Uh, Almas's mother um, has one most treasured possession, which is a set of prayer beads, which Abdullah made himself. There, there aren't even any photographs of Abdullah. Uh, there's only a grainy video of Abdullah reading the Quran at, uh, at the mosque um, the year before he was, he was killed. All the paintings that Robert and I shared with you there, uh, they're all on two sheets in the welcome pack so um, please do feel free to um, look over those uh, and um, you know they're they're worth worth reflecting uh, upon it's it really takes me back to sharing all all that with you In November 2019 uh, I'd got to uh, to go there and in time for the the 25th anniversary of the genocide last year, I, I completed those paintings. Uh, Robert, yeah, um, I was I was just thinking there, uh, the 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 work that you did for a, a long time uh, in Srebrenica, you you had um, a lot of chance to reflect on uh, on, on the the root causes of of hate, where where hate comes from, and, and where it ultimately leads to. Um, now there's there's a, a, a model of um, the stages of, of hate leading to, to genocide that, that you've used in, in education with different groups, isn't there? Uh, yes, that, that's the it's called the the ladder of prejudice, and it's um, it's five stages I think leading up to genocide. Um, uh, beginning with speech, um, I target usually uh, school children um, about. Uh, the effects of bullying and what it can lead to and so on. Um, and so speech is one of those that comes into that category. And the next rung of the ladder is avoidance, um, where people are, are, are shunned by their, their friends and uh, or their so-called friends and classmates, etc. Um, and that can lead on to discrimination where um, where there's support for people to be excluded from uh, from workplaces, from uh, uh, employment, etc. Um, and that can then lead on to physical attack that's um, uh, that, that's permitted by the authorities and that then, uh, uh, you know, uh, can lead to genocide. The the one um, uh, uh, rung that's missing is denial. And just to go back slightly to your um, session there, Ian, um, we've talked a lot about Srebrenica, but Srebrenica is now uh, a Serb-controlled um, town. Yeah. Uh, and uh, despite the fact that that beautiful memorial centre and cemetery is on the outskirts of the town, the mayor of Srebrenica, um, who's a Serb, uh, denies that there are any victims, uh, any Muslim bodies in those graves. He makes all kinds of other excuses um, uh, uh, to say that, uh, that, that, that there was no genocide whatsoever. Um, and one other just fact uh, regarding uh, the, the bodies, 
and in particular the influence that the mothers of Srebrenica had um, on the, the process of identification. Um, I think it's important to know that um, the, the ICTY, the International Criminal Tribunal, needed the evidence, and so that was funded by the UN. Identification of the, the, the victims' bodies um, wasn't really on their agenda. It was far too expensive. However, the mothers of Srebrenica, who were still waiting on uh, answers to what happened to their men, they formed the, the, this pressure group and, um, to cut a long story short, embarrassed governments in the West to try and identify the bodies. And you see, the bodies were, uh, the bodies from the primary graves were exhumed and buried in other places, but uh, those bodies were torn apart using mechanical diggers uh, and dispersed around throughout Bosnia. Um, and instead of eight and a half thousand men and boys, uh, that turned out to be over 17,000 body parts um, that the experts had to try and put together and ultimately identify. And that work is still going on today. And um, I, 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 and there are mass graves that still haven't been discovered. And as you rightly point out, Ian, um, uh, families who still have only had part of their, their loved ones' bodies returned to them. And it's a terrible dilemma for the mothers to decide whether or not their loved ones who may could be buried, even although the rest of the body hasn't yet been found, and the, 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 it's just so cruel for, uh, for for them to be told after they've been buried that they've discovered an arm or a leg or, a, or another body part belonging to them. And so, uh, so it's, it, it has to be. Uh, well, I feel very strongly and passionately about the the, the suffering that the particularly the women. Uh, uh, had to uh, endure during those times and even to this day. So I just want to, to mention that. And um, But yeah, hate crime is uh, 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 insidious. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that um, some people aren't sure what's the difference between hate crime and any other crime. And um, uh, uh, you know, hate crime is when it's not a, a crime against an individual, it's a, a crime against a group. Um, and that's what makes it so uh, insidious when it comes to when it leads up to the other rungs and the, the ladder of genocide that I was I was talking about there. Ian? Yeah, do you know, I, I, I found that it's, uh, some people think, will think, uh, gosh, that's that's a terrible situation that happened over there, but it's nothing to do with us. Um, mm. I was really struck before I went over uh, to Bosnia in 2019. Uh, I live in uh, Govan in Glasgow, and uh, it was November 2019 I went over, but in August 2019, there was a sectarian riot in, uh, in Govan. Uh, one group were trying to have uh, a march, uh, and then uh, another faction uh, decided to oppose them. And it was the first time I'd ever seen with any of these parades that the riot police had to be called out with the great big see-through shields and, and all that kind of stuff. Wheelie bins on fire in the middle of the road. And uh, anyone who's seen um, what's happened in Glasgow over the past few months, because uh, so-called football fans decided to celebrate uh, the win of, of their football team. It becomes a little bit clearer how, um, how one group's hatred for another can very, very quickly become uh, violent. Um, and uh, if, if there's one thing I'd be keen to impress uh, upon people is um, how how easily this this happens in in, in a place um, if, if, if it can happen somewhere like Srebrenica it can it can happen anywhere I just say uh, and that's a very good um, uh, point to raise about football in particular uh, Ian because I'm I too live in Glasgow and was brought up in a, under a, a really quite sectarian and quite horrible atmosphere of hatred 
um, from Protestants, Catholics, and so on. One important factor in that the, the you've alluded to regarding football is that one of the major tools um, of stirring up hate, hatred uh, in, in the Balkans was football. One of the most infamous warlords, a man called Archon, he was president of um, uh, Belgrade Red Star football team, uh, football club. And, um, and whenever they were playing a team from uh, Zagreb or, uh, or Sarajevo and so on, he would incite his players to uh, kick the hell out of the other, the opposing side in order, order to generate anger amongst the two sides. Now, you can see that doesn't happen in sense the, the, the management of either Rangers or Celtic, but it's the power of, uh, of those messages getting through that it's okay um, to smash the head of the opposing fan um, just because of their religion. And, um, uh, and that was a very, very uh, powerful tool that was used as well as media um, uh, 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 discrimination that was going on at that time so you're quite right I mean we yeah. saw scenes in Glasgow just a couple of weeks ago when Rangers won the league um, massive thousands of people overran the centre of the city and some of the scenes that were reported from that was quite disturbing really and that had the hairs in the back of my neck um, were, were, were raised because of it. We've had some fantastic comments. We've had um, Tuona earlier commenting on that term, ethnic cleansing, um, and, and talking about how strange that is in this context, this notion of cleansing, and um, just just the, the bizarreness around that and those events that you've described and communicated through your artwork. Um, did you want to speak to that? Yeah, well, ethnic cleansing, you're right, it's a... Uh, it's a strange term, and and and, and funnily enough, uh, I mentioned the warlord Arkan. It was he who first described that term, ethnic cleansing. Uh, during the war, he uh, he he was responsible, for example, of um, releasing hardened prisoners from jails in in uh, in the, the area uh, to form paramilitary teams who were people, someone with severe psychiatric problems um, uh, who committed some of the cruelest crimes. I mean, you saw in the house and painting um, the image of the man being tortured and so on. And, and, um, uh, and we came across uh, injuries that I can't even speak about. They were just so, so bestial. Um, and, but ethnic cleansing as a term is a strange one, but it's so common now that, that people use it. It's almost a, you know, it's something like sanitizing um, a, a, a group of people, and uh, and it should be said that, that the reasons behind what happened in Bosnia wasn't really about um, hatred of Muslims. They were just a tool for those who were power mad to take over a country that was predominantly Muslim, and they, they used uh, discrimination as a, a, a means of churning up that hatred that, that Ian and I have uh, alluded to. And so um, the, the, the Muslims were just the victims in all of this. Although I have to say that there were crimes committed um, by all sides. And I worked with Serbian victims, Kosovans and Croatians. And, um, uh, and so that, that shouldn't be forgotten. But um, so anyway, I, I think that uh, the ethnic cleansing was uh, a strange term uh, to use and people in the West at first didn't quite understand the, how sinister a term that was. Thank you so much for sharing the stories and the insights and, and how moved people are. We also had Alison talking about how incredibly moving and she was really struck with the journey through this work and, and the way that perhaps it has changed you um, through kind of these enduring relationships and also the kind of body memory too um, of your experiences that's expressed in this work. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly um, 
the 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 work I didn't realize it as I said at the time, but it did have a profound effect. It changed my life really um, uh, doing that that sort of work because it was just relentless. I mean, I, I had worked with death for uh, before I retired for forty years, and I thought I'd seen everything. Um, and I know uh, it's interesting when you t I mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder, but I've worked with a large number of people uh, who have experienced, who, who you wouldn't think of experienced post-traumatic stress. And, uh, and that includes people like interpreters um, uh, who, who have to relate those stories. I mean, in, in Kosovo, for example, the interpreter we had was uh, a young woman of 19 years old who daily had to uh, tell us the most horrendous stories and um, and I spoke to a, a, a woman uh, in another uh, event that I was involved with who uh, interpreted for the uh, the Nazi war crimes in Nuremberg and she too told me that all of the interpreters uh, suffered to some extent uh, and one quick uh, other anecdote when I go into prisons and talk to uh, prisoners about uh, my experience. I, I found it really interesting that um, uh, on my first visit to Scotland's really toughest jail, a few of the prison officers approached me and said that they uh, they would like to come in um, and listen to my talk because they had served in the British Army um, in Kosovo or Bosnia, um, and they were telling me about some of the, the experiences they had that were really quite traumatic. But after I gave the talk to the prisoners, um, many of them in every occasion, I've done this about 10 times now, and uh, after every talk, I'll get prisoners coming up to me, approaching me and saying that they too were British soldiers and had served in war zones. Um, and I found it really quite interesting that there you've got those two groups, the, the prisoners, and their guards who had come from very similar backgrounds but just took different roads um, that, 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 that I'm sure that their experiences of what they saw had affected them and will affect them for the, the rest of their lives. Mm. Yeah, uh, Almasa, who, who was our interpreter and the lady in the fourth painting that I shared, um, she had been a, an interpreter for, for quite some time and working with groups coming over uh, with remembering Srebrenica, but it was she's in her thirties. Uh, it was the first time she had uh, shared with a group uh, about her experiences. She'd never talked uh, about it, um, uh, sh sharing with a, a large group before. Uh, it, very difficult. It takes an awful lot of time for for these things to come through. We're running out of time. G has asked um, the impact of uh, all of the local artists that are, are, are responding to different um, conflicts in different areas. For example, the revolution in Egypt since 2011, whether these new artists, you know, artists in Turkey, etc., impact your work and whether um, that shapes uh, your kind of consciousness about the work that you produce. Uh, I've looked at um, uh, in the past at art, uh, war art, if you want to call it that. Uh, it took me a while, though, to come across art that was um, uh, anti-war art, if you like. I mean, I, I was conscious growing up of these fabulous paintings glorifying wars, um, you know, from from the past. And uh, although I, I admired their techniques and so on, the subjects uh, disturbed me. And it wasn't until... Um, artists you know, mentioned Picasso and Housen, but I look at artists like Paul Nash uh, and John Singer Sargent from artists, war artists from the, the mainly from the First World War. Um, and those paintings, uh, including uh, new works and new artists are extremely profound and moving. And, uh, and you know, what I do as a, an outsider, if you like, uh, doesn't even touch what I don't think what, what um, those people who have experienced it themselves, lost loved ones and, and friends and so on, and then express themselves. So uh, in art and, um, and that's why I, I try to encourage people to, uh, you don't have to be uh, 
particularly knowledgeable about how to draw or paint and it doesn't have to be in art it can be in uh, music or writing or poetry whatever um, uh, but I, I never push it because there, there, there are some people uh, who will never want to talk about their experiences uh, mentioned or Ian mentioned the exhibition in Kelvin Grove where the the victim um, uh, or the survivor of the concentration camp is a very brave woman who talks openly about her experiences um, and both she and her husband who were engaged at the time they were they were taken to Omarska camp um, they suffered uh, unspeakable injuries uh, uh, to them both and her husband to this day will not talk about it at all and I think having worked with some of those victims who were murdered uh, I can understand why it'd be so difficult for them to do so. Mm. Just thinking about artists um, who are from the countries where uh, these atrocities have, have happened I've been very glad to to be able to find artists online. Um, it's, it's astonishing the, the number of people that pop up on Instagram now. Uh, between 98 and 99, I lived in um, Bogota in Colombia, South America, and there had been a long, for a long time, a civil war going on there. And there was a lot of people who disappeared was, was the phrase that was, was used. Uh, and one artist whose name I can't remember just now uh, did the most phenomenal artwork painting on uh, hot paving slabs just with water uh, portraits of, of people and of course they, in real time they, they vanished before she even finished painting these faces you would see this dark image just evaporating which was one of the most profound things uh, I've seen. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the Sounds of the Spring School podcast. You can find details of Robert and Ian's work in the show notes. Links to their websites are available there. The next podcast episode will be out on Monday the 13th of September. Mm -hmm.